it's, it's about being your authentic self and bringing your authentic self and not trying to be someone else. And I, and it took me a little while to figure that out. Like, I think I was trying to overcompensate for not being an engineer and not being technical. And I, I didn't need to, because I'm valuable for what I bring. And I think a lot of people, especially younger people don't quite get that. And so that's why the imposter syndrome thing even exists is you're trying to put yourself into your understanding of what that should be. Hey everyone, this is Jay. And this is Angie. And welcome to another episode of Across the Lines, a place where we have candid and vulnerable conversations with Pan-Asian American leaders about identity, work, and the confluence of the two. Join us on a journey to amplify their voices, humanize their achievements, and share their wisdom. Whether you're looking for advice or just want to hear leaders who've been there and done that share their personal and professional stories, you've come to the right place. Today, we're excited to speak with Neha Sampat. Neha is the CEO and founder of Content Stack, a platform adopted by brands including Best Buy, Chase, the Miami Heat, Shell, and Walmart to manage their content experience. Previously, Neha was the founder and CEO of Built.io, which was acquired by Software AG in September 2018. Alongside her work with Content Stack, Neha is the host of Dream Makers, a podcast that hosts conversations between trailblazing female leaders. In this episode, we spoke with Neha about why she thinks resilience is the most important trait for entrepreneurs, how helping others helped her develop her confidence to overcome setbacks, and changing her subconscious thinking to not allow herself to feel like an imposter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Across the Lines podcast. Um, Today, we have uh, a special guest, Neha, on the show today. Neha, the way that we like to start all of our shows is by asking our guests what their favorite dish was growing up. What was that for you? Interestingly, it was enchiladas, and I'm a vegetarian, but I grew up with a lot of Hispanic people. I was in a, living in a Hispanic neighborhood. My high school was like 85% Hispanic. So I grew up with a lot of Mexican food. And I always used to joke that like when I was 10 or 11, I still thought I was Mexican. And someone had to remind me that I was Indian. <laughs> what, what was that like, Neha, uh, growing up as an Indian or an Asian American within a broader Hispanic community? Was, were there like um, a lot of similarities that you found, a lot of differences? What was that like? I actually think there's a lot of parallels between Mexican culture and Indian culture, especially given that people live in multi-generational families and there tends to be kind of this opportunity to take care of your elders, but also um, take care of your cousin's kids and your family kids and kind of people grow up together. And that's very similar to, especially in India, how Indians grow up. So it felt very natural to me to be in a Hispanic community. People sometimes joke that I was a weird looking Mexican, (laughs) but I always um, felt connected to Hispanic community, Hispanic culture, but of course grew up with Indian parents and grew up speaking Indian languages. So I think I got lucky because I had kind of the best of both. First off, I just realized today is Diwali. So happy Diwali if you happen to be celebrating. Thank you. Happy Diwali. Diwali. Yes. Neha, tell us about this experience growing up in kind of like a, a cultural melting pot. Were there any formative moments being in this potpourri of different heritages that you grew up in that really stand out to you? So if you you guys probably heard the term ABCD or American-born confused Desi. <laughs> if you haven't, it's a thing. And 
uh, we used to, as a kid, I mean, I grew up in the eighties in Southern California. And so Southern California in and of itself is a melting pot. And then the neighborhood I grew up in was predominantly Hispanic. And so it was the level of confusion was at a heightened <laughs> form for me because I spoke a language that nobody really spoke outside of my family. Uh, it's called Kachi, Gujarat. It's a, it's a variation of Gujarati. I grew up with Indian friends that were Patels that spoke Gujarati. And so I learned a lot of Gujarati. And then I grew up speaking a lot of Spanish or at least being exposed to a lot of Spanish because of where I was living and, and the work I was doing in the community. And so it was um, actually really cool to be a part of that melting pot. But I think there's, when you think about confusion, a lot of it was just about like, I, like a little bit of an identity crisis, like who am I really? And how do I make my family proud? And how do you give back to the community, which I was really passionate about. And there's also like a, an interesting thing that people don't talk about a lot, but exposure to religion. I had friends that were Hispanic that were like predominantly Catholic, friends that were Filipino, that were a variation of Christian, Christian and, and then my family who was Hindu. And so I had exposure to all, and it was actually kind of confusing to figure out like what's real, what I believed. I mean, I kind of landed on the golden rule in the end and just taking care of one another. But I think growing up from a different culture in the U.S. can get really confusing from that standpoint. So um, that was kind of how I grew up. I had two older brothers, both really awesome and super supportive of me and parents who loved and cared for me. And my mom always said she raised me like she raised her sons. So didn't get different treatment, which I think was really awesome because I grew up believing that I could do whatever um, I wanted to do and whatever I put my heart into, but also got the same kind of pressure thresholds to accomplish what I set out to accomplish academically and in work and all of that. Uh, a, a few interesting threads that um, I think we'd like to pull on. One is maybe the the point you mentioned about the melting pot of different religions. That that would, I would love to kind of hear you talk a little bit more about that because that's not something that we've kind of heard from many of our other guests on the podcast. Because not only is there a how, how did you end up just kind of wading through the different um, levels of confusion to end up at the golden rule? Did you, did you see that that was maybe something that was relatively consistent across different types of religions, just maybe like phrased differently? Um, how did you how did you kind of work through that process and end up where you've ended up? It's it's interesting. I mean, I think religion and church and all of that is really exists to create a sense of belonging and to provide some guidelines on how to live life. And I, I needed both of those as a kid. And especially in adolescence, you're like exploring a lot of things and you're trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong and who you're going to be and how you're going to react in hard situations. And so I think religion for me was something that I found attractive because I was going through a lot of changes and trying to figure some of that out. I remember very specifically, I was at a church study group with friends and I would just go and explore, you know, what that was like with some of my, my friends growing up. And someone in the church group that was really highly respected told me that I needed to tell my parents and my brothers and my family to convert to Christianity. Otherwise they were going to hell. And that was the moment where I realized this is not real or true. And I'm not going to challenge anyone what they believe. If you're a good person, you're a good person. And that's where the golden rule came in, right? Do, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And I started to live my life just thinking about the actions I took and ensuring that I was doing the right thing. And that's kind of been my religion since then. 
And kind of on the thread of reciprocity, it's kind of stretching it, but we're doing a podcast here. You also happen to have your own podcast called Dream Makers. And now I feel like there's a wealth of knowledge to dive into when it comes to your professional experience, but this seems to be something that is really special and important to you. So tell us about where the motivation and inspiration to start this came from, what lessons you've learned. Love it as well, because we're fellow podcasters. So any tips and tricks you've learned along the way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually really similar to, to why you guys are passionate about across the lines and, you know, you're trying to create this sense of, um, you said, you said it as you can't be what you can't see. And similarly for me, it's about providing access and relatability to mostly to women, to younger women or women that are earlier in their career to be able to look up to someone and to understand the path to that and to understand that they also can do all of those things. And so I interview women who are successful in their own right and that have figured out how to balance profit and purpose and they can talk about what it takes to balance the two. And it's it's been really interesting. I've had so many really awesome guests on many people that I look up to myself probably one of the most interesting ones was someone who also holds the exact same name as me, another Neha Sampat or Sampat, depending on how you pronounce it. And she, she and I have spent the last 25 years or 30 years of our lives getting confused with one another. (laughs) We're approximately the same age. We both married somebody named with the last name Patel. So we're both Neha Sampat who married Patel and we lived in the Bay area at the same time and overlapped a lot. And it's funny because we used to get each other's emails like right out of high school and it would be like old boyfriends or friends that were trying to get back in touch. And then over time it became like more career things. And then it became like speaking opportunities. And about a year ago, I got booked for a speaking opportunity that I was super excited about. And it was on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, the other Neha also speaks about DE and I a lot on stage, and she talks about about just how to feel like the sense of inclusion and and all of that. And so I was going through like preparing for it, and I saw something that just stood out to me, and I'm like, oh, I think they think they booked that name. <laughs> and so I like told her about it. I backed out. She took the engagement. Everything was good. And then I had her on my podcast, and we talked. We told that story about how it's. It's awkward to ever get mixed up with that person, but it was so cool because she's done so many incredible things in her life and in her life and has impacted so many people. And we often will get like cross linked on LinkedIn with each other's tags and all of that. So super awesome. And so many other women that have accomplished major things and started companies and built companies and taken companies public and, and had an influence on several people inside the organizations they work with within or lead. And so that's why I do it. It's really just to provide that concept of access and relatability to women who are looking to kind of grow into their careers and be somebody big. And uh, dream making is really just about breaking the status quo and doing things differently and showing the world what you're made of. Something we've been hearing as a common thread in all these stories you've been sharing is this idea of access and relatability, I think is the phrase that you used. And I love to tie this concept into your career. Maybe let's rewind back to when you first started out in the workplace. How did you relate to these concepts back then? You've started multiple companies. You've just progressed in the professional world. How has your thinking on this idea, this phrase transformed and evolved through your professional journey? Interesting. So if you heard the phrase, youth is, is wasted on the young, um, I think similarly, there's like kind of a sense of ignorance 
that you have when you're young, which is super valuable and powerful. And I think I experienced that really early on. So I'm in my twenties, right out of college and had a really high sense of confidence and believed I could do anything and, you know, conquer the world to the point where I was applying for like director jobs at 22, right? Cause I'm like, oh yeah, I could totally do that. I'm a director level person. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but that confidence is so valuable. And what is saddening about it is as you spend more time in the real world, you get beat down and it takes away from the confidence. And so I just, I remember really clearly like right out of school working, I, I actually decided to move to Silicon Valley from Denver, which is where I did my undergrad. And I was just chasing a career in tech and I didn't really quite know what that meant. I knew that Silicon Valley was cool and there was this dot-com thing happening. And so I should be a part of it. And so I moved to do that, worked at a PR firm. And by nine months into that journey, I realized that I could run my own PR firm. And so I left and I started my own PR firm with some friends. And that was the beginning of like my entrepreneurial journey. And within like the first year of my career, I was telling CEOs what they should and shouldn't say on stage at conferences. And like, it was just like this sense of confidence that you really shouldn't have that early in your career. And yet it, like they listened to me and they kept hiring me back. And it was just something that kind of stuck. I think going into working in an enterprise job after that. So I got my MBA and then I went to go work at um, a couple of big corporations that's when I started to like run into being challenged by climbing the ladder and, and organizational politics and everything that comes with that. And I'm a female, I'm not technical. I don't have an engineering background, you know, and I'm trying to rise the ranks in a tech company. And that's where I think I learned a lot of the, the difficult lessons of just kind of hitting the glass ceiling a little bit, hitting the wall, maybe not having the same pedigree as, as some of my colleagues that have come out of Ivy league schools and things like that. And so that was an interesting part of the journey because you kind of learn to become resilient and, but it does kind of beat you down on the, on the confidence. And so I had to go through the journey of working that back up. And I think I got the confidence back after I left the corporate world and was back on my own, running my own companies. And I've been on that journey now for 15 years. It's a really interesting thread that you bring up because it's almost antithetical to some of the stories that we commonly hear as these predominant narratives from our other guests of feeling like they didn't have the confidence when they entered the workforce or being brought up in a world where they weren't told that they could do anything and thus kind of had these self-limiting beliefs. It's, it's a very common theme we hear across a lot of our guests. So one, I love to hear that you just went into the workforce full force with that confidence, with that kind of like unwavering belief in yourself. And I want to touch on a couple of things here. One is if you're to kind of reflect a bit, where do you think that confidence was driven from? Where do you think the source was? And the second point is, as you progress in your career, we'd love for you to tell some stories of instances where you felt like that confidence was whittled away a bit and instances as well where you built it back up and how that process of building it back up went for you. Yeah. So I, I think the most important trait for an entrepreneur is resilience. And, and it's something that you learn by going through tough times. And so I, I feel like the original confidence came from just having a lot of experiences doing things in leadership. And it's interesting because I wasn't really particularly strong academically. I wasn't bad, but I was like a little, like barely above average. <laughs> and where I really excelled was more on leadership 
like I was student body president in high school. I ran all the rallies. I ran campaigns. I was really involved in the community. I um, did a lot of volunteer work. And so th those were the things that brought me good energy. And I took that journey forward throughout my undergrad, was in the Senate, you know, involved in all kinds of local extracurricular activities. I built programs in the community to educate and underprivileged on, on computer skills and things like that. And so I, I think a lot of my confidence came from helping people and from knowing that I could make an impact. And that's who I was. Like, it wasn't about my grades or what I was learning in the classroom. It really was about what I was doing on the streets. And so when I went into the workforce, I think I carried that with me. And I, and it was a sense of confidence that I could do something to make an impact. And so that's where it's, I think it stems and where it started. And where it broke down for me is probably more where you're trying to do things and you're getting hit with red tape or process or, you know, where I'm used to being kind of in charge or being able to lead the charge. And probably the first big lesson I had was when I had to shut down my PR firm. So I had left the PR firm. I started my own and we were doing great. We were working for a lot of really large companies. It was 
I think it just like, it becomes a part of who you are, like being living through that struggle and knowing that you have to get through that struggle in order to accomplish more than they were able to accomplish. And that's just a part, that's just like a part of who I am, who I, you know, how I was brought up and watching my dad with the little he had always giving back, like always trying to bring other people up. And so I think it was just kind of inherent in how I was brought up, but then I was pro, really proactive in trying to do things in the community. I'll give you one example. In high school, I started an organization called Faces, and it was to help people that were on the streets, mostly like kind of leaning towards getting into gangs and things like that, to pull them um, out of those situations. And I don't know what led me to believe that I could be useful to them, but I would set up like workshops to work on resumes and and sit with them to see like if they're a graffiti artist, what kind of a job can you do as a graffiti artist and how can you put that skill to work? And in doing that, it became friends with a lot of people that were like gang bound <laughs> and, and, and they became really protective of me. And it was so rewarding because these are people that you're taught to avoid and not spend time with. And instead they became people that really valued me for the little that I was trying to do for them. And so I, I think I, I look for I look for talent in unusual places and that's where I think the thread might lead back to like access and relatability. And, and that's something that I've carried throughout the rest of my career, including how, like, even in my current company, how I think about recruiting and bringing on talent, I'm always looking for places where you can find talent that might be unusual and helping to find, provide, provide that access and lift people up. Yeah, one of the interesting things that I'd say we've come to realize is like an almost universal truth through some of these other recordings that we've done is the fact that the reality you're in is a confluence of how you've reacted to the environment that you've been in growing up and the lessons you've taken away from that. And also this kind of like external exogenous factor of how the systems that we're in react to us. So it's, it's kind of like a duality of the both and how they intersect. We'd love for you to speak a bit about that common thread right there, that kind of like intersection between the two of how you feel like the upbringing that you've had and the identity that you carry as a South Asian woman has intersected with your career. Are there any notable stories or examples that come to mind when we think about this intersection that you'd love to share with us? So it's it's interesting. If you think about the culmination of all the things that give you quote unquote imposter syndrome. For me, it was always about being a non-technologist in a technologist's world more than it was about being a woman or being a South Asian <laughs> in, in a man's world or in a white, a white world. And I still actually struggle with this because I, the ABCD thing is real. I grew up American, you know, connected to India, but didn't live there. And now you know, I've got 350 employees in India across my companies. And when I go there, I still feel like this sense of like, I want to belong, but I don't quite belong. And I feel like I have to work a little extra hard to, to lead there because it's a different culture. And it's, a, you know, and I, I almost feel like a little guilty about not being as connected. And so I, I think there's, there's a common thread with like the experiences that you have and how they impact what you think about yourself. And then you kind of create these own, your own barriers, you know, it's completely in my head, but it exists. And so I have to like constantly work my way through that. Are there any really interesting learnings or tips or advice 
from going through that experience of almost bridging the gap back to your original culture that you'd love to share with us in the audience? I think it's, it's about being your authentic self and bringing your authentic self and not trying to be someone else. And I, and it took me a little while to figure that out. Like, I think I was trying to overcompensate for not being an engineer and not being technical. And I I didn't need to, because I'm valuable for what I bring. And I think a lot of people, especially younger people don't quite get that. And so that's why the imposter syndrome thing even exists is you're trying to put yourself into your understanding of what that should be. Or, you know, if, if you see, and this goes back to the relatability, if you, if you hear the word CEO, what comes to your mind? Is it a South Asian woman or is it a white dude in a suit? Right. And so how do you like change the subconscious thinking to be in line with what's authentic and not allow yourself to feel like an imposter as a result? Thank you for sharing that now. Um, it's been a ton of fun to hear your story and, and to and to hear um, the different life journeys you've been a part of and how that's all shaped your thinking and um, a lot of different like contrarian pieces of stories and ideas that you've shared already. But one way that we also like to end the podcast is by directly asking um, if you were able to share one piece of contrarian advice with our audience, what would that be? I don't know if this is contrarian, but maybe I can tell a story. And it goes back to talking about resilience. I, I think about the journey of building a company. And I went through the fundraising process and I've raised $89 million for content stack. So we we closed our series B a few months ago and it wasn't easy. And people tell stories about how that works. And I I kind of relate it back to an experience I had when I was trying to learn how to sail. And I was, (laughs) I was in the the San Francisco Bay. I'm with, I'm like 30 something and I'm with a bunch of 20 something boys, young men. And it's three of them and me and we're, and a, an instructor and we're on this boat and I'm trying to like maneuver it. And we all take turns doing these drills and I just can't quite get it. Like I, like, and the guy's like yelling at me. Like, he's like, you have, you have to, you're going to kill the person, the man overboard, you're, you know? And, and it was freaking me out. Like I was just like, it was so out of my comfort zone and the boat capsized. And so I fall into the bay, like fully clothed, lose my hat, lose my shoes. It's freezing, shark infested, polluted water. And I'm like trying to, and the boat's like almost over my head. And so I'm trying to get back on the boat. And this happened like four times in a row during these drills. And so finally I got back on the boat. We got back to shore after like a lot of drama. And I'm kind of just reflecting on it and thinking, this is a lot like my journey as an entrepreneur. (laughs) You you get beat up, you get thrown into polluted waters, you get yelled at, you get beat down, but you have to get back on the boat. And so I think if I had to think about a contrarian piece of advice is it's not really contrarian. It's more like, don't let them beat you down. Know that you're valuable. Know that you can get back on the boat and learn how to be resilient. And rejection is completely normal. And it's a part of the, it's a part of the process. If you don't get rejected, it means you're not aiming high enough and you eventually will get past that barrier and grow into the person you are meant to be. I'm trying to draw some boat metaphors here. So let me give it a shot. You know, the, the waters are always going to be choppy, right? Especially if you're an entrepreneur. And that's a, that's a good thing. Cause if you're always smooth sailing, that means you're not growing and expanding into your, your authentic self. So exactly. Neha, this was such a pleasure to have you on the pod. 
Thank you so much for spending the past half hour with us. And thank you so much to Nick as well for introducing us. Thank you. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for tuning into Cross the Lines with your hosts, Angie and Jay. If you enjoyed today's conversation about the intersection of work and Asian American identity, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, you can head over to acrossthelinespodcast.com to learn more about the show, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time. Thank you.